to Maranatha Christian Assembly Podcast, where we bring you the Word of God wherever you are. We pray that you be blessed by God's Word this week. Before we start today, we were talking about a lot of suffering. When was the last time, right, you actually went through like a crisis moment, a trial, a difficulty, uh, a, a moment that you can consider, right, a hardship? And when was the last time you went through something like that? And, and of course, I'm quite sure many of us have, right? But the question actually that we want to really ask is this, okay? Now you have to go and think about when was the last time you went through, okay, don't, don't think about life and death, like big issues. Okay, that's just within the last one year. Right? When was the last time you went through something difficult? Uh, for some of us, maybe it was COVID. Maybe it was a health issue. Maybe it was a relationship issue. Okay, whatever it is. Okay, now the next question, most important. Did you grow stronger after it? Or did it weaken your faith? Did it grow stronger? Did you grow stronger after that period of time? Or did it sort of weaken your commitment? Did you sort of lose that fire after you went through or you became more passionate for things of God? I, I'm very sure right, many of us recognize this situation, right? You have people who went through cancer and went through victoriously, their faith grew and they became stronger, committed Christian. But we also have people who went through cancer, not that they died physically, but they died spiritually. Is it true? We have people who went through relationship issues and became stronger, more committed as a believer. We also have people who went through relationship betrayals and lose their faith as a result. So we can see, right, that actually it is not a given thing. It is not a given thing that trials actually will bring us stronger to God. We hope it does, right? We hope. I'm very sure many of us here, right, if you can look back, if you're many years as a Christian, you look back on your life and you look at where you are right now, I'm very sure you could pinpoint certain moments, certain periods of your life that molded you to become who you are today. How do we know? If we ask you, right, do you want voluntarily to go back and relieve those moments, your answer usually will be no, right? Is it true? Right, I'm sure you're like me. We can identify certain periods of my life. For me, right, it will be the three-year period my wife went through depression. Right? It made me who I am today. But if you ask me whether I want to go back and relive that three years, I will tell you, no. No way I want to go back voluntarily just to go and just to enjoy that moment. But we became stronger as a result. But we also know that it is not automatic. And today, right, we are talking about not wasting your trials. How not to waste your trials? The reality why this happens, right? We have, we have trials, we have difficulties, we have suffering, and it strengthens some and it weakens others. I think the most fundamental problem is that suffering provokes questions in all of us. Right? You go through life happily. How many of you started asking questions about pandemics because of the pandemic? Right? Yeah, that... that Diseases are all over the world all this while, but you never really question about like, what's this thing all about? Uh, uh, is there always healing and things like that? And then suddenly one pandemic and we start asking questions. A war happened between Ukraine, Russia, 
And then people started asking questions. Why do you allow this? Why do you allow people to die? Why do you allow innocent people to die? The question is, right, does people like that die every day? Yes. But often it requires suffering and it provokes questions in many of us. Sometimes it's not as global as a pandemic of war. Sometimes it's very personal. Just yesterday, I, I visited, uh, me and my wife visited a couple in our, fa- in our church. Baby that they, they said, they were newborn. Right? The newborn is, there's a lot of babies behind, right? The, the newborn is three weeks old and it is dying. Okay, before, before, it, they were, before the baby was delivered, they already knew that this is going to be a baby who will be born and it will just immediately be born and it will gradually die. And they are facing with a lot of questions. Every time we visit them, they are very strong Christians. They want to continue to persevere and glorify God, but they always provoke questions. Almost every time we meet them, a fresh question will come into their mind. Questions, suffering provokes questions in many of us. And the most obvious question that many of us will ask is the one in the middle, right? Why? Why me? Why me? Why does this happen to me? And the reality is this, is, this is something, suffering and the question that it provoked can easily strengthen many of us if the questions are answered or it could weaken us if the questions remain hidden. And today we want to look at the passage from James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Right? And during this passage, right, during this period of time, the, people, the, the book of James was written to the Jewish people who were going through suffering. Right? And, and most likely what happened was, this was lightly written right after, uh, if you all remember, Stephen was stoned. Okay, those who, who, who know your book of Acts, Stephen was stoned, the church was dispersed. Right? The church ran away because of the persecution. You must understand, right, in the ancient world, running away, okay, running away in the ancient world and running away today is very different. Today you can bring your credit card. Right? Today you can put your money in the bank, go somewhere else, draw the money out. In the past... Your money is in the land, in the, in, the, in the factory, in the houses. You go means you go. You put everything there and you go. Right? And they suddenly, right, you have people who lose everything overnight because they left. They no longer have their neighbours. They no longer have friends. They are going now and living as a refugee, imagine. And this was what's happening to the Christians, the Jewish Christians who were scattered and they were having questions. A lot of the Jewish Christians started to question about this faith. We believe in Jesus and now we lost everything. And that's why James wrote this letter to them, right? And to encourage them on how to deal with this suffering, how not to waste your trial. A very familiar passage, I believe, for many of us. James chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 4. Just three verses. James chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 4. Let me read together for those of us who have this, your Bible. You can turn to your Bible. If not, you can easily look at the text here. And this is what James chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 4 says. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let us pray. Father, today, this morning, as we come together as a church, as individuals, Lord, many of us come with questions. Many of us come with scars. Some of us come with suffering. 
But Lord, today we come, we want to glorify you in this midst. Lord, we want to allow your word to continue to sanctify us. Lord, so that in the, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of our questions, Lord, you, your will will continue to be done in and through our life. And Lord, we want to commit this morning to you. May your word bring comfort and strength to those who need it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. How not to waste your trial, right? How not to waste your trial. I think you, you can imagine, right, the entire passage in James chapter 1, chapter 1, actually, actually from verse 2 all the way to verse 8, focuses on how to view and handle trial. How to view and respond to a suffering. But today we're not going to do, only going to do half of it. We are only going to do and talk about verse 2 to verse 4, focusing on how we even view suffering. Because the reality is this, if you view it a way that is wrong, the battle is already lost before you fight. Does it make sense to you? If you view suffering in the wrong way, you have already lost the battle before you even start fighting. You don't have to talk about, oh, how do I respond? How do I do this? If you view it the wrong way, your response largely will be wrong. So today we're going to look at how not to waste your trial. Right? Three things we need to change in the way we look at trial so that we can mature and not waste the trial that we go through. The first thing that James tells us, I know this will sound a bit provocative. I will wait a bit first. Drum roll. Okay. The first thing James said is that you should expect it. Suffering should be expected. Suffering is the norm. I'm very sure this is one of the, probably in, among all the points, right, this will be a little bit more provocative than many of us will be willing to accept. Suffering should be expected. James chapter 1 verse 2 says this. James told the people, right, these are the Jewish people who are going to trial, they believe in Jesus, and they're like, wow, we are now finding the true faith, and they are now suffering, they lost everything. They are now refugees in the foreign land, and people are bullying them, and they are wondering, oh, why is this happening? And the first thing, right, James told them, right, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, and he uses this very short description of what they were going through. And he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider pure joy, right? Forget about the response first. How do you respond to it? But the first thing, you notice what James told the people. He says, do this whenever you face trials of many kinds. The first thing James did for the people, the Jewish believers, was to tell them, right, this is normal. Whenever, not if. There's a difference between if and when, right? If and since. If means, got up, got up, 50-50. Maybe have, maybe don't have. Since or whenever means it will have is a matter of time. How many of you, right, y'all still remember, I, I'm very sure most of us forget already, y'all still remember before COVID happened, what was the in thing that every organisation was talking about? Y'all still remember, every organisation in Singapore have to do something, right? you forget already. Remember we talked, actually just before COVID, when it became a global thing, the big thing Singapore was preparing for was actually terrorism. you still remember? you still remember the slogan? that every Singaporean have to remember, not if, but when, right? That was the way the government was preparing the people, say, hey, it's a matter of time, right? Don't, don't think that just because it has never happened in Singapore, it will never happen. It's not if, but 
when one single change in word meant to change the entire perspective. Don't think maybe have, think it will likely happen. It's a matter of time. That was what James was telling the people. He uses these three words to describe the condition of what they were going through. Whenever you face trials of many kind. Every one of these words have something important, right? It is whenever, not if ever. Not if you go through trials, but when. The reason why a lot of time we are crippled by, by, by suffering, right? The first question, remember, when things happen, the first question we ask, why me? Why me? You are expecting, uh, I, I, we, we have this joke, right, that we always use in our classes. We call it fairy tale Christianity. Fairy tale Christianity basically is you believe in Jesus and you live happily ever after. If you believe in a fairy tale Christianity, I believe in Jesus and therefore I live happily ever after, the moment something happens, the first question you will ask is, why? Because you don't expect it, right? You say, God is supposed to be happily ever after and then suddenly I believe in Jesus and then I get cancer. I go full-time and then this thing happened to me. Incidentally, right, my wife got depression when I went full-time. Exactly the same time. And you're asking questions like, God, why? But James told us that suffering is Whenever you're going to go through, you are going to go through, it's a matter of time. Not if ever, whenever. How many of you, right, as most of us are long time in the faith, right? We don't even have to be a long time believer. How many of you, when you look back in your normal physical human life, you already can testify to at least maybe one hand, five, at least, five major moments in your life that you could have lost something important to you. A person or something or career or health or life, easily you have went through trials within your lifetime. It is not a if ever. It is a whenever. I'm going to go through. And the emphasis says when you face trials of many kind, the word face, of course, is, is a translation uh, uh, a thing. We don't have a lot of words that we can use to translate it. The word face trial basically means fall into a hole. That also means that nobody goes around looking for suffering. Does it make sense to you? Right? When you say whenever you go through trials of many kind, it is not because Christians or people go around, okay, since I'm going to go through trial, the more the merrier. It's not like that. We fall into a trial. We go through life, we walk on the way, we never expect in the sense like, oh, today we'll have a trial, but we fall into it. This is like walking on the road. Imagine you're driving on a car, and then the car has a lot of not, not smooth, right? Do you expect the ride to be smooth? No, you expect it to be bumpy. You just don't know exactly when it will go up. That's the whole idea. Whenever you fall into a trial, and the trial will be of many kinds. Can you imagine? This is important because when James was talking to the people, what were the people essentially going through? Persecution. Right? You're going through persecution and yet when James spoke to them, he wanted to make sure, hey, by the way, whatever I'm telling you is not just about persecution. Right? If you understand how and what I'm telling you, it will help you through your life, not just through persecution. I'm not going to tell you, oh, whenever you face persecution, consider it pure joy. Jesus said that. That's true. But that's not what James said. James said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of different kinds, whatever trials you're going through. 
whenever you face through face the different challenges and suffering in your life whenever not if and this is the number one thing that many of us struggle with this is the number one thing that num- uh, many of us struggle with that suffering is supposed to be assumed to be inevitable that in this life there will be what's the word in this life there will be trouble who said this how many of you right use this as a memory verse in this world there will be trouble who said this statement jesus himself right isn't it strange that jesus himself told us that in this world you will have trouble and then when we have trouble and then we say god why and what do you think jesus will tell you what do you think, right, if Jesus was standing here and you're coming to him, Jesus, why am I going through trouble? And then Jesus will say, I told you so. If you read the verse after that, Jesus tells you, I told you in advance so that you won't be sure. And yet, when it happens to many of us, we are still sure. Isn't it strange? Jesus knew that we will go through suffering. Jesus know that we will be shocked when we go through suffering. Jesus told us in advance that we will go through suffering so that you will not be shocked. And then we go through suffering and we are shocked. We go, why? I always tell people, right, if you ever find yourself asking the question, the simplest way to dispel the question is this. Ask, why not? Is there any good reason why it cannot be you? For example, I get cancer, let's say. Right? I say, God, why me? Do you realize when you ask that question, you are actually thinking it should be who? The person sit okay, man, man. <laughs> okay, okay. But it's true, right? When you say not why me, when you say why me, you are thinking it should have been someone else. Okay, now who is the someone else? Do you dare to pinpoint? Do you dare to say, oh, it should be the non-believer? It should be the person who is not serving very hard. It is the person not committed to God. It is the do you dare to say it? You don't, you just say why me? But in your mind, that's what you believe. God, I've been serving you so hard. Why? Me. When you ask that question, you are saying it should be someone who don't serve as hard. You are asking and saying, and you know that it's not true. That's why you don't dare to ask. You only dare to ask, why me? Suffering all this while was assumed to be inevitable. First Peter chapter 4. Oh, sorry, did it jump? First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to verse 13. Same thing, Peter was writing to the church, the church was going through suffering. And, and I, I, I always like this way of saying, Peter is very candid, very straight to the point. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised. Why are you surprised? Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That means, right, we will only be surprised if we think that suffering, falling on committed, serving, very hardcore, very committed Christian, you only think that if this thing happened on this kind of people, oh, it is strange. Then you should be shocked. Can you name at least five individuals in the Bible who was committed, full of faith, and yet suffered? Anybody can just randomly, randomly give me five names. Sorry, Job, anymore? Sorry? Elijah, right? Two already. Okay, don't, don't you Jesus, uh, Jesus sure, sure win one. Anyone, anyone else? Just any five, random five. Joseph, any more? Paul, right, suffered, committed to God and suffered. Any more? One, last one, last one. Sorry? 
Daniel, right? You can see easily. You can almost go through the names of the books of the Bible and easily just pick up five and you will still get at least, at least five individuals easily. Peter was telling people, right? Why do you consider it as if something strange, as if something abnormal is happening? Why do you consider suffering as something abnormal? That when it happens, you are shocked. So if it's not abnormal, if it's not strange, then it should be taken as normal. That when suffering happens, it is normal. It is normal. And you rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Some of us will be wondering, are you sure? Are you sure, Bishri? Let me, let me do some mathematics with you, okay? To see whether this is true. Imagine, right? COVID. Anybody want to tabulate? Does Christians have a higher chance of getting COVID or lower chance? Make a guess. Any difference? No difference, right? Cancer. Any difference between Christian and non-Christian? We are not saying healing, right? Some have access to healing. We're talking about getting it in the first place, right? Are there any difference between Christian and non-Christians? When a tsunami comes, right, does it purposely avoid Christian houses? When the earthquake happens, do you have like suddenly right, only Christian houses remain standing, all the non-Christian houses all fall? We all hope, right, Jericho system. But does it happen in real life? In, in a real sense, no, unless God wills it to happen. If not, when a suffering, a natural disaster or suffering or illness happen, it hits Christians, it hits non-Christians. In fact, in fact, there is even biblical basis for it should be like that. It should be like that. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave a conclusion to his Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, house built on, rock, house built on, sand, right? When you look at the text, right, the houses that are built, both one on sand, one on rock, they went through exactly the same things. Because that is precisely the point of Jesus' conclusion, right? One will build his life on the Word, one will build his life on his own thinking. They will go through the same things in life, but one will remain standing and one will fall, which proves what? What does it prove? It proves the strength of building a life on the Word. Can you imagine, right, one day uh, you go to a non-believer, right? you build your life on the rock, he, he or she builds his life, her life on the sand, right? And then, right, you come to the person and say, you see, there is so much value in putting your life on the Word. And then he or she turn around and say, of course, easy for you to say. No storm, no wave, no nothing. You have not gone through anything. I went through all the suffering. It is so difficult for me. That's why I collapsed. You have not gone through anything. You can say whatever you want. Do you realize Jesus' conclusion in the Sermon of the Mount presupposes you are supposed to go through the same things as an unbeliever to prove to them that building your life on the rock makes a difference, right? If that's not true, right, how do you tell the people, hey, I, got, I just got a Christian couple, a leader in church, they have a baby that is born dying to prove to the people around them there is value, there is hope in building your life on the rock. If they don't have to go through all this, how are we going to show the world that building life in Christ makes a difference in the life? There's no difference. You're not going through anything. Right? So natural things, we have the same things already, right? 
easily the same. Will non-Christians be persecuted for their faith? They will not. Christians will. Can Christians avoid suffering by unscrupulous means? Like you lie, you bribe, you get your way out of suffering, or you seduce people, you give sexual favor. Can, can Christians do that? No. But can non Christian do that? Yes. You add all this together. Who is supposed to have a harder life? Who will naturally have a harder life? The Christian or the non Christian? It's the Christians. And yet, in a very strange way, many of us believe in a fairy tale that says that, oh, when we believe Christian, we will have an easier time. And when you believe in a fairy tale Christianity and life and reality of life comes into your life, reality, you will get shocked. Say, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? I thought I was, some of you will know, I, I think I mentioned in some of our classes before, I was not by a car when I'm a teacher. Right? When you're a teacher, what do you need to do? stand. But I was not by a car. I torn my ligament because I was not by a car. Right? And once I went back in the office, right, my, my colleague in the church office, first question they asked, you're not angry, man. You need to stand like three, four hours. Like when I teach in the Bible school, it's a six hours straight kind of thing. You need to stand so long. If you are desk bound, okay. Well, you torn ligament, no problem. You need to stand all day long. After this, I'm going to another class uh, in another church. Another all the way, another two, three hours. Right? You need to use your leg and stand all the while. Of all things that can happen to you, why did God allow leg to be knocked? My first answer to him, why cannot? Is there anything in the Bible that says anyone who serves God will be exempted to be knocked by a car? Why do we even assume such a thing that just because we serve God, we have a privileged position that we are spared the natural sufferings of life? When car will knock you, car will knock me, car will knock a non-Christian. There is no difference. Suffering is norm. Right? Is it true that sometimes God will in His special intervention protect certain individuals? Yes, that is called special intervention. One special intervention is every day. Uh, it's no longer special. It's automatic. Does it make sense to you? There are gracious interventions. But once you start expecting gracious intervention every day, it is no longer intervention, it is norm. The Bible's assumption is very clear. Suffering is the norm, intervention is the miraculous. There are times God will act to save, God will act to protect, but don't treat it as a norm. Don't treat it as a norm. The first thing, right, that cripples a lot of our encounter with suffering is our expectation. The moment you go into this thing, expecting that you will be spared, you will get disappointed in every moment. We once have this sermon series that we preach in the church. And incidentally, right, the, the message on suffering was one of them. And our title is actually Melting Your Golden Cuffs. That many times, right, that many times for many of us, you are disappointed in your golden calf. You are not disappointed with God. You created your own God your golden calf, and you think that God is obligated to spare you of suffering, and then suffering happens, you get disappointed, but you are not disappointed with God. You are disappointed with your golden calf. You created an illusion, and then you get disappointed with it, but you are not disappointed with God. God has never failed you. Your golden calf failed you. Does it make sense to you? So the first thing we need to do, if you want to face suffering well, is to correct your expectation. Once we correct our expectation, we will not be 
surprised. We will not be caught off guard when things happen. Again, remember, there is a big difference between seeking, welcoming, enjoying suffering versus knowing that it is normal. Wars are? Wars are? Normal. How many of you have seen in the Bible? Why, why is it when war happens, everybody's shocked? Because somehow they think, right, when God happens, when God is on earth, God should bring world. We actually think that, that Jesus is some judge in some beauty pageant. Oh, what do you want? What do you pray? I want to pray for world peace. <laughs> right? It's like, why do you even think that when God is around, there'll be world peace? Is there a scripture in the Bible that says, do not assume I've come to bring peace? No, I come to bring divisions. If there's divisions, there's going to be war. What makes you think that when God, is on, when God does His work, God will gradually bring world peace to the world? Where in the world, in the Bible, does it say that? It doesn't. It is our own expectations. And when it doesn't, when the things in the world doesn't meet your expectation, you think that God has failed. You are shocked. In fact, God says there will be wars and rumours of wars. Matthew 24, right? But don't be alarmed. The end is still to come. Basically, until the day Jesus returns, war will keep on happening, so please don't be shocked. Jesus has been constantly telling us all these things, and the question is, why are Christians still surprised? The first thing, the first thing we need to do to adjust our thinking is to correct our expectation so that we are not surprised when suffering happens to you. Maybe some of us right now, you're going through something and you are still grappling, God, why me? Why me? God, that it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Maybe God is speaking to you. Remember, this is different from saying that God enjoys for it to happen in your life. God allows it. But you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised. James chapter 1. The second thing that James told the people, not only is suffering should be expected, not only is suffering should be expected, suffering actually can be beneficial. Okay. You will notice I stress my verbs very carefully. I never say will be beneficial. I say can. Suffering should be expected, but suffering can be beneficial. Suffering can be beneficial. This is what James told the people. He continued. He says, consider it pure joy, right? Whenever you're going through all this trial, this is normal. Don't be shocked by you go through them. This is things that you will go through. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of intensity. You have not gone through now. Maybe God is just strengthening your faith so that when it does happen in your life, you are able to weather through it, right? But whatever it is, consider it pure joy. Consider it a joyful matter. Okay, this is not telling you, don't worry, be happy. Consider pure joy. That means there is good reasons for you to know that good can come out. Consider pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider pure joy because you know that the testing, the way your faith is being stretched, it will produce perseverance. So what Paul is actually trying to say is this. You're told to consider. You're not told to be happy. Right? You're not saying, be joyful. Right? When you say, be joyful, the idea is, right, no reason. Just be happy. Right? Be happy when you go through. Don't think. Right? Just be joyful. Full stop. It never says, be joyful. It says, consider. The issue is, it is not supposed to be obvious. 
Right? How many of you, when you go through suffering, right, you are smiling all the way? Ah, so how many of you know that, when, for example, you have something good that happened to you? A born, a newborn, just now the baby was crawling around. Everybody instinctively will smile, right? Do you need people to tell you, hey, baby, la, smile a bit, la, right? Do you need people to tell you that? You don't need. When things are naturally happy-inducing, make you glad, do you need people to tell you to consider it to be joyful? Do you? Don't it? When you have a promotion, do you need people to tell you, hey, happy lah, be happy lah. Do you need that? Don't it? When the Bible uses the word be rejoice, be joyful, consider pure joy, it always stresses there is a good reason to do so. Whenever you see the word be joyful, rejoice, consider pure joy, all these kind of phrases, you must always go for the reason. He's trying to tell you, I know it's ridiculous. I know like being joyful in a suffering sounds a bit strange, anti. It's a bit like anti-logical, not against your logic. But let me explain, right? Consider pure joy whenever you go through. Why should you be able to go through with a heart of joy? Because the Bible says, your testing will produce perseverance. The testing of your faith will produce the persevering nature of your faith. You must understand faith is like a muscle. How many of you, right? Uh, let me look at your physique. Huh? How many of you go to gym one? Not the treadmill kind, the pump weight kind. All the guys don't dare to say. How many, how many go gym? Oh, nobody go gym one. Huh? Wow. No, 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 any, any time fitness here. I'm assuming even if you don't go through gym, you go to, don't do gym and don't use weights, right? I, I'm assuming you know how it works, right? How many of you actually do that except for bodybuilder? How many do that? Or how many times when you lift weights, right? It's like that. And you know, and the question is this, you are suffering when you lift weights. How many, how many understand that? Okay, I, I'm assuming there are no like any trainer here know, right? Okay, I hope we don't Okay, The whole logic of lifting weights okay, is you lift until your muscle is tired. Then you start building muscle. Okay, that's how it works. Right? That's why you need to put a lot of weight and you pump and pump and pump and pump until your hands start to shake. When your hands start to shake, that is the moment you are actually building muscle. Everything before is just warm up. Right? It's just, oh, bam, 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 bam. Okay, now it's the time already. And then when the thing start, you will start to see people do this. And you start to see the, the, the weight machine, right? A lot of sound. King -kong, king -kong, king -kong, king -kong. Because it is very difficult. You are fighting against the weight. That time, the last time that you lift that weight, the one that your hand is shaking, that actually is the only time that the lifting actually works. Everything else before is just bringing you to that point. And you will just and you let go. And during that moment, I've never seen anybody do this. You know, nobody will smile. Everybody is like very focused. And then you can see the face. Right? But the question is, you know you will go through that. Why on earth do you sign and pay money to go through that? Because you know the testing of your muscle produces strength. 
you are not looking for the suffering. You are looking at the result of that suffering. Does it make sense to you? You know that as a result of that, gung, 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 ah, you know that as a result of that, there will be muscle, you will build strength, you will build endurance. So therefore, you are willing. You consider pure job. When you pay money, you don't do this. Hey, I'm going to suffer. You pay money gladly. You consider pure joy. You know it's going to be worth it. But then in the process, you're going to do this. You already know. You consider pure joy because of a benefit that you receive. Not the process. You're not going to consider pure joy because it feels good. Nobody will ever feel good in suffering. You know how many of you have experienced that kind of advice before? You are going through something negative. You are going through something very down. Some people come to you and say, hey, yeah, don't worry, lah. Nothing, to be, nothing to be said about one. How many of you went through that before? You have people, well-meaning nonetheless, right? You are going through some pain in your life. You are going through something negative and somebody tell you, yeah, this thing, small thing, lah. I went through worse than you. I also not said, you said until like that for what? Do you actually feel encouraged when somebody said that to you? Okay, I know some of you have said that before. Okay, don't raise your hand, please. But how many of you, when you are the receiving end of this, you actually feel good? Wow, you really are. Ah, you went through worse. Ah. Wow, suddenly my pain a bit less already. You try, okay? You try, ah, okay? Somebody give you a jab on the hand, right? A needle. You are very, the needle is very painful. And then somebody tell you, wow, very painful, man. I lost my leg before. Leh. This is not painful one. Then does it, does it change the pain at all? It doesn't. So what's the point of you telling each other, Ayah, you lose this, Ayah, small thing. Lah. I lost this also, I'm not painful, why you pain? By telling each other that, it doesn't encourage each other at all. How many of you, on the other hand, have been encouraged by people who say, wow, that's very painful. I've never gone through that before, but I feel your pain. And immediately, you feel encouraged that somebody is walking with you. You don't encourage people by denying your pain, right? Does it make sense to you? Right? When I go through the thing, oh, my wife's depression, yeah, don't worry, lah. you will snap out one, lah. you will snap out. I tell you, every time I go to church last time, to three years when I was with depression, everyone come and tell me, right, don't worry, lah. she will snap out one very easy. Uh, uh, sooner or later, sooner or later. I tell you, I go there, I smile, I walk away, I say, I'd rather not talk to you. Right? I'd rather talk to God. I'd rather allow God. Because that doesn't encourage me one bit by telling me this is not supposed to be painful. What the Bible is telling us is this, consider pure joy, not because the process is going to feel good. Right? We don't have to delude ourselves to think that it's going to feel good. It will never feel good. Is it true? Some things are painful to you. And, and some of us are parents. Right? Some of us are parents. I understand. Right? You will tell your kid and say, hey girl, boy, this kind of relationship, small thing, don't be so sad. We think actually we are helping them. Right? How many of you young people, right, when your parents tell you that, you don't feel encouraged at all, <laughs> right? Okay, don't dare to raise your hand. It's the reality. We do that to each other all the time. We tell them this is not something you should feel the pain about. You must always remember, somebody feel a pain because something matters to me. It may not matter to you, but it matters to me, so I feel the pain. By you telling me you don't feel the pain, it doesn't change the fact that there is still pain. Does it make sense? So the Bible acknowledges there will be pain. There will be suffering. There will be discomfort. There will be things you grapple with. But eventually, whether you value and you say, God, I'm able to go through it positive with my attitude that God, I'm going to consider, I'm going to retain my joy as I go through because I see the result 
at the end of it. I know what it can accomplish. We are not in any way saying you leave weight, you definitely have strength. If you don't try, you will not have it, right? But once you go through, you know that you may. You may. Going to the weights can be beneficial. It is not automatic, but it can be. So how we view our suffering, whether we are defeated or whether we are able to treat it positively depends on what you truly value in life. Depends on what you truly value in life. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to verse 7. In all this, you greatly rejoice. You should rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have to go and suffer grief in all, again, all kinds of trial. Right? You may have to go through and suffer grief, suffer sadness, suffer breakup, suffer betrayal, suffer setback, suffer losses in all kinds of trial. But these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith and as far as God is concerned, of greater worth than gold, and gold will perish, but your faith will eventually result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. At the end of the day, right, do you value your faith more than your encounters, your experiences? Or in other words, do you value, sometimes we say it this way, do you value your holiness more than your happiness? Do you value the kind of people you will become or the things you will get in life? When you go to the Sermon on the Mount, right, today, what are the things that, when, are, when was the last time right, you told someone that he is blessed? When was the last time you hear, wow, you're very blessed, you're very blessed? Okay? If you read, the ten, you read your Sermon on the Mount, how did Jesus start? Blessed is he. Not blessed is the one who has, but blessed is the one who is. Blessed is the one who hunger and thirsts for righteousness. Blessed is the one who is merciful. Blessed is the one who is meek. Blessed is the... You know, isn't it very strange? Jesus said, the one who is truly blessed is a certain kind of people. And we think that the one who is truly blessed is the one who has some things. Oh, I have a good family, I have a good career, I have a good life, I have a good health, therefore I am blessed. Do you ever see Jesus saying that? Like, oh, blessed is he who has good health. Blessed is he who is wealthy. Blessed is he who has security in life. He said, no. Blessed is he who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed is he who is merciful. Blessed is the person who becomes the kind of person you should be. Not the things that you receive in life. So the question now becomes, do you value what Jesus said that I want to become that kind of person? I want to be merciful. I want to be pure in heart. I want, and suffering sometimes may happen to bring you there. I want to be a person who is meek. I want to be able to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to be able to be poor in my spirit. I want to be able to become that kind of person. Or you're still thinking, God, I want to be able to have these things in life. You're giving God your five C's. God, I want a condo. I want my cash. I want my children. I want my family. I want my career. And if you give me all this, then I am blessed. Make a guess. Which one would God prefer for you? Don't need rocket science, right? God prefer this. And if you prefer that, this is what you feel as a parent, when you talk to your teenager, you want something for them and they want something for themselves and then you clash. 
And this is why sometimes we feel confused in life when we go through because God has this in mind to make you and help you become the person you're supposed to be, but you are still pursuing this. And that's why when God removed this in order to produce this, you will immediately feel, God, why? Why do you bring away this? Why do you bring away that? I want this to be blessed. God said, no, no, that's not what you need. You need this to be blessed. You, this is how you become blessed. Do you value this in life? The quality, the genuineness of your faith. Who you truly become in Christ. That you mature in your faith. Does it matter to you whether you mature? We always say, right, like for example, you have your salary. right? How many of you can accept five years in your workplace without increment? How many of you can accept? You do okay work. Okay, like not, not spectacular, but okay, okay, good, like good quality work, and you go five years and no increment. How many of you can accept gladly? Like, don't worry, you know? But sometimes we gladly accept five years in our spiritual life without growing. We accept five years in our spiritual life without growing, and yet we are not willing to accept five years in our life without changing a phone. Right? My phone must upgrade. Why? Why do you think that you must always upgrade this when your faith, sometimes we don't value as much? Suffering can be beneficial, but it depends on what you truly value. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are supposed to be renewed day by day. For our light, Paul have a very humorous way of saying this, your light and momentarily troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Whatever you go through is light, and only short compared to what is trying to accomplish, that God has greater things in mind. So the second thing, very quickly, suffering can be beneficial. The reason why sometimes we are confused, say, God, why? What does it? You feel that suffering is automatically seen as negative and there's no room to have joy because you think that all suffering takes away something from you. True? Right? Health takes away conveniences, career. Once I take away this thing, it makes your life unpleasant. It makes your life inconvenient. And you, because of those inconveniences, because of those losses, you think automatically it is something bad. And you see no benefit and you say, God, why do you allow something bad to happen to me? The cross was bad. The cross was utterly bad. And yet God allowed it for a much greater good. That's why we are all standing here. So clarify our perspective. God has a larger purpose than making you happy in life. God is trying to help you to be holy. The question is whether you participate or you rebel against it. God desires you to be holy. Clarify our perspective so that we won't be confused. Very quickly, the last one. We said that suffering can, right? not will, not automatic, suffering can be beneficial because suffering must be embraced. Let me qualify a little bit. Again, remember, we are not saying hunting for suffering. We are saying, we are not in any way saying, therefore, if there is a way to get out of your suffering, you purposely stay in it. We are saying, if there is no way of getting out of your suffering, you are in the suffering and you know that, okay, I have to bear through it then you must learn to emotionally embrace it. You must emotionally embrace it. 
Paul says this, right? He says faith will produce perseverance. But he says, let perseverance finish its work. This is interesting. He says, hey, it will develop perseverance, but you must let perseverance finish its work. That means you cannot short circuit. In other words, when you're using the weights, right? When you're training weights, you must let perseverance finish its work. That means you're very tired. What do you do? Let go or continue? Continue. The only time your muscle will be built is you do this way, no point. It must be, uh, you must squeeze it all up, then your muscle wet will. You have to persevere and let perseverance finish its work. You must work hard to do it all the way. And that's what it means. And this, this word, right? It says, only then, then you may be mature and complete. Only, not only suffering. When we first started, we say there are Christians who went through suffering and crashed. But there are also Christians who went through suffering and grew. A lot of time, it has to do with this. Do we let perseverance finish its work so that we become mature? So that we mature and become complete and holy? That we become what we are supposed to be, not lacking anything. And the word here, right, perseverance, is a very interesting word. The word perseverance, quickly, is actually a military term. Perseverance is a military term, right? Like, unlike today, right, last time when we fight a war, we don't have helicopters and buses that bring our soldiers to the battlefield. So what must you do? What must you do? We march, right? We don't have the Holy Spirit transport the whole army over, okay? It is by marching, right? You have to march. So last time when you march, you have very few animals. You don't want to weary down your animals. You don't want to make your animals carry all the barang barang. They are war horses, they are supposed to fight, so you, you want to make them tired, right? So who carry the load? The people. You can see this is a typical picture of what it looks like. They will carry all the things. This is the origin for those who are Singaporean NS men. This is the origin of the full battle order road march. This is real. The Roman people actually purposely carry a lot of stones and everything and they keep on marching to train perseverance. The word perseverance came from here. Why? In the ancient world, there is no value in being Ye Wen. Ye Wen, one fight. One fight, how many? Ye Wen. Right? One person can fight 10 person. In the ancient world, no point. Why? If you cannot even persevere and end up in the battlefield, if you drop out halfway, so what if you can fight? So which one is the more important quality? Ability to fight or perseverance? Perseverance. That's why the ancient army treasure perseverance. They keep on training, not the way to fight. They still train fighting, but they train perseverance a lot more. You're supposed to fast march. Take all the load and march very quickly to go to the battlefield. And once you're battlefield, you must still be able to fight. If not, what's the point of you being able to fight? Right? You can't even reach the battlefield. So perseverance in Greek culture, the Roman world, means something like this. You carry all the load that you're carrying. And then what do you do? What do you do? You carry all the load and then you keep on marching. Remember, perseverance is not carrying the load. Perseverance is not just carrying the load. Perseverance is carrying the load and keep on marching to the battlefield. In other words, when the Bible says, as a Christian, we ought to persevere. It doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't mean just bear with it and come to church. 
It means just carry all the load and continue to do what you are convicted to do all this while. For example, what is the existence of the church for? Preaching of the gospel, right? Does it change because we have COVID? Does it change like, oh, we are suffering right now, very inconvenient, okay, never mind. So we, 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 we stop for three years and wait until we pass over, then we do our, 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 our great commission, right? Do we do that? No, we persevere. We bear with it and we keep on walking. That's the meaning of perseverance. And that's why Paul reminds them that perseverance is not passive. It's not just bearing and just like, okay, Lord, no choice, Lord. I resign to faith, Lord. Just bear with it, Lord. Just, just, just try not to leave my faith, Lord. It is bearing with it and continuing to walk forward. Bearing with it and continuing to walk forward. It means and implies that you are prepared to carry this for the long haul. You are prepared to go. You are going to continue marching no matter how long the march will be. Last year, I think I mentioned it the, the, the previous message, right? Last year, we lost a friend to suicide. He's a Christian. He went to Japan for missions. He had a certain medical procedure, went wrong. And he became very, very depressed. And it was not life-threatening. Basically, uh, whatever that happened after that can be solved by your glasses. But he just get extremely discouraged. God, why? God, why does this happen? There must be a way to reverse all this. There must be a way to reverse. And he spent all his time, spent all his emotion, flying back from Japan to Malaysia to Singapore, finding all the doctors, trying to find a way. Can I solve all this without using glasses? Glasses. We are not talking about life and death. Glasses. You can solve by having a pair of glasses. But he went through depression because of that. And many believers spoke to her, even non-Christian friends spoke to her. Why can't you learn to bear with this? And when Christians spoke to her, we say, I know this is painful, I know it's confused, but actually, why not you learn to persevere? You carry this. If you can be avoided, you avoid, right? You seek for all medical help, all medical possibility. But if you cannot be, then we learn to bear with it and continue to walk forward to glorify God. We are not going to let it stop us. The only pos the possible benefits of suffering will only be available to those who do not allow it to derail their faith. Does it make sense to you? The benefits of suffering will only be enjoyed by those people that do not allow suffering to derail their faith. The moment suffering derails your faith, suffering has no more benefits to you. Suffering has no more benefits to you. James chapter 5, verse 7 to verse 8 says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and summer rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So the third thing that we should learn to do is to change our response, that we do not become paralyzed, that we do not stop whatever you are convicted about, whether it be to grow, to read the Bible, to pray, to serve in church, we don't allow suffering to stop whatever we already were convicted about. We do not be paralyzed. So today, as we wrap up, as we invite the worship team forward, 
how not to waste your trials, how to make sure, right? At the end of the day, we all go through our fair shares of suffering and hardships. We all go through our moments of heartaches, of pain and of betrayal. The question is only whether you waste it or you don't waste it. Remember, you don't have a choice about whether you go through. The question is whether you benefit from it or it is just something that you bear through. James told us to correct our expectation, to clarify our perspective and to learn to change the way I respond. That suffering should be expected, suffering can be beneficial and suffering must be embraced for it to produce its benefits. So today, we allow this word from Paul to conclude and to encourage us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is not a slight on the pain that you're going through right now. Paul acknowledged that you feel your pain. The pain will always still be there. But you must always remember, consider, always remember that whatever we go through, the pain that we go through will not be worth comparing compared to the glory that will one day be received. Let's stand and we respond to the Lord. Before we enter the time of worship to close the time, I believe the Lord wants to speak to two groups of individuals. Let me just speak to you before we worship. And the first group of us that I think the Lord wants to speak to this morning, when we were worshipping this morning, the words that came into my mind was hidden questions. Hidden questions. That maybe for many of us here, outwardly, you are still doing your Christian stuff. We are still praying, we are still saying our grace, we are still treating one another, we are still smiling in church. But only you know the kind of questions that you have been grappling with But what the Lord is speaking to you is not that you have questions, but that you hide your questions. For some reasons, you did not pursue those questions. Maybe you think that, oh, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be asking this. Oh, maybe how, what will my friends think? What will my parents think? Oh, what will my spouse think? And you end up hiding those questions instead of pursuing them and allowing God to resolve it for you. And you think that by hiding those questions and say, God, I want to have faith, I just hide the question and just sweep and sweep and sweep and sweep and sweep. And you think that that is helping you, but it's actually causing you to gradually become more and more brittle in your faith. And the Lord wants to speak to you this morning. I know those questions. Trust me that I will answer them. I may not answer the way you prefer. We must always remember when Job reached the end of the book of Job, Job did not know why he suffered. He got an answer, but he did not know why he suffered. But the answer was good enough for him. 
And the answer came because he did not just sweep his questions under the carpet. He came to God and he persevered and pursued and pursued and pursued and the Lord spoke to him. And many some of us are like that. You brush away your questions thinking that I shouldn't have those questions. Instead of bringing those questions honestly to the Lord and wrestle with it until you get your answer. Maybe for some of us is to bring those questions to your leaders and to pray together for God to speak to you. But there is no value as what the Lord wants to speak to you this morning. There is no value in hidden questions. The second group of people that the Lord wants to speak to this morning are the people who are thinking of giving up. I feel that this phrase go to my, went to my mind even this morning, the idea of giving up, that you are tired. You are going through some things and you are tired. And the Lord wants to encourage you that I will be the one, my spirit will be the one that strengthen your inner man. And the Lord wants you to come to Him to seek for this strength to continue to persevere. Let us worship God together. Let us bring to the Lord all our questions and the things that we are going through right now. He understands and He cares. Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you this morning whether the first group or the second group. And you really has been putting up a front before the Lord and say, God, I think I can go through. And the Lord wants to minister to you this morning. Wherever you are in this hall right now, we will not ask you to come forward. But wherever you are right now, let's take this time. Let's honour this time. No one speaking to one another. Don't assume that the person beside you has no questions. Let's honour this time and spend these quiet moments. And Lord, this is my question. God, why? God, why? to pursue those questions we've got. For some of us, I need your strength, O Lord. I'm tired. I need your strength to persevere so that I will glorify you. Let us pray together. Let's pray for ourselves. And as we pray, we pray as a church for one another. Just as one part suffer, all parts suffer together. And Lord, we, today we pray. Father, you know the things, the questions that we have in our hearts right now. The questions that sometimes we are not voicing out in our cell group. The questions that sometimes we do not even ask our spouses. But Lord, today we come and we bring those questions to you. Because you are the answer to our questions. 
Father, we do not want to hide under superficial faith anymore. We want to see you face to face and allow your word to truly set us free. Father, we want to pray for each and every one of us. Father Lord, those of us who are going through challenges, heartaches, pain, Father Lord, indeed, you are our great high priest, the only one who will truly understand. And the Spirit in us knows our heart. And the Spirit in us also knows God's will. And Lord, with that, we give thanks. Because the Spirit in us knows the will of God. And we pray, Father Lord, even as we pray to you, your Spirit help us in our prayer. And Lord, we commit the things that we are going through into your hands. May you help us to gain perspective so that we are able to benefit and to mature through our trials and suffering. Father, we pray for your gracious intervention in some of our lives. Lord, that you will help us in our moment of need. And but for all others, we pray for your sustenance, O oh Lord, for your power so that we are able to persevere through it. And Lord, in all things we pray that you will rise up the church so that as one, Lord, we will glorify you. And all this we pray in Jesus' name.